Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's continually amused by United fans trying to compare their stat-padding Cletus from The Simpsons with a ginger Pele. Lads, it's like putting the 90s kids show Mike and Angelo up against Michelangelo. It's embarrassing. Stop it. On today's show, we're looking ahead to this weekend's game at Selhurst Park, a place where we boast a pretty decent record, which surprises because it feels like we draw there often. We'll also be asking what the future holds for football now that the moustache-twirling 12 have failed to break away and form a Super League. To discuss all this, I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Keyworth, along with a debutant who will be offering up an Eagles perspective, an author no less, and a really nice guy to boot. It's Richard Foster. Hi Rich, you well pal? Yes, very good. No, thank you for the introduction. I quite like being a nice guy. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, to say I'm looking forward to tomorrow's game would be lying. But, you know, let, let's let's um, crack on. Well, I was going to say, I think you'll be delighted by what me and Adam will have to say because we're very much anticipating a weakened team. Um, isn't that right, Adam, uh, no, for tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, if, if Palace were ever going to look forward to playing us, I think once the team sheet comes out, they'll, mm-hmm. they still will. But, I, I mean, I say that, but then I did look at, coming on before I came on the podcast I thought I'll have a look at what the second team might be and if it is what is in my head it's still a team that you'd expect to finish in the top four so it doesn't it doesn't get much easier does it so exactly yeah it's our squad isn't it fair to this phenomenal squad um before we get to this weekend's game um I haven't had a chance to talk with you Adam about the kind of super league the abandoned super league uh, and I thought it'd be really good as well to talk about it today with a Crystal Palace fan on, because as we discussed just before recording, it's all well and good us City fans talking about it, but we and, you know, um, five others essentially try to leave the Premier League and just, you know, leave everyone else to fend for themselves. Um, so it's been two weeks now since a reviled Super League plan came to light and was quickly scrapped. Uh, Rich, how did you view it at the time? Was there kind of repulsion is that too strong a word regarding the clubs in question um no because you know it's been mooted before it won't go away it'll probably come back again um i thought that what struck me two things struck me about the proposal a probably the most amateur idea in terms (laughs) of the conception and the delivery i've ever come across I mean, you'd expect something, you know, like the Johnson's paint trophy to have that sort of level of amateurism. But where was where were the club statements? Nowhere. Where was the actual anybody standing up and saying this is a really good idea? Not one person. The whole I've never really known a proposal in football that has inspired universal disapproval across the board so you know it wasn't only you know the clubs such as ourselves and I thought actually Steve Parrish our chairman spoke very well about it because he said you know what what we're saying is we want to have the jeopardy we want to have the ability to lose our status as a Premier League club and if you have a closed league that's the end of it because it's you know this American idea and obviously American sports are based on the fact you can never be relegated if you want to join the league, you have to get, you know, millions stroke billions together and get a franchise. Think about into Miami. They, they've bought their way into the league. That's the only way you get into the league. You don't come up, you know, from League Two to League One to the Championship. It doesn't happen. 
So you have to buy your way in and you can't get relegated. And that is just the most ridiculous idea. And, uh, you know, Gary Neville, I'm sure he's not very popular with uh, your audience, but I thought he was, again, very good in his condemnation of it. And the fact he had a go at United as well, as well as Liverpool. But, you know, you could tell he was passionate about that. And I know there's you know, accusations of hypocrisy because of Salford City. But he really did come across very well. And I, and and the fact that, you know, Pep came out against it and said, you know, this isn't right. Uh, Jordan Henson, anybody, even within the clubs, they, mm. they hadn't been consulted. What? You haven't consulted your manager, your players? <laughs> What's was going on? And, you know, obviously the fans were the last people you're going to talk to. And all that... Just before, I'm sorry, I'm on a bit of a run here. All that mayor culpa about, oh, well, we're really sorry, we did, we misjudged this. Yes, you totally misjudged it because you didn't talk to the people who are the most important people involved in this, which are the fans, and they don't support it. You didn't support it. As a Palace fan, I just thought it was actually ridiculous and it was nonsensical, and I didn't actually feel threatened by it because I just thought there's got absolutely no chance of succeeding. Well, Adam Rich thinks that it's going to come back in a revised form in the future, as do I. Um, what about yourself? Are you fearful that it could return? I mean, I remember the, you know, Rich mentioned Adam, the mayor culpers from all, all concerned. JP Morgan's statement had a line about, we will learn from this, which I interpreted it as, we will find another way. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you worried that it might come back in the future? I think Rich summed up I know that it's come from a fan's point of view that that weren't involved directly as the six, but I think he's summed up a lot of our thoughts there as well. Mm. Um, that the the blame game and who's actually taking responsibility for it and all that sort of stuff was what what really got me in the fact that nobody knew the the fact that it probably took the players and the managers to say, "Come on now, um, we don't fancy it," is probably the worst bit for me. Um, I think it will come back, probably not in that form, but I think the one thing that slipped under the radar is the Champions League reforms that yeah. have, have been talked about on this show already a lot. Uh, so I won't bore people with the with all the facts about that, but that is just as bad in theory. We could finish, if we win the Champions League this year, then next year we finish sixth and West Ham finish fourth, we will take their spot. And that's just as bad. So I'm glad that it's gone at the moment, but it's one of those things that it's going to keep coming back because you see clubs like, uh, you've seen all the financial uh, records coming out over the last few days and the last couple of weeks. Clubs are in massive trouble and this was their meal ticket to get out of that financial trouble. Arsenal, Spurs, they needed that Super League. They, they really needed that injection of cash. So did uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. You had Perez coming out, who was the ringleader behind it, saying, uh, yeah, yeah, but look at all this money that we need. Whilst signing a, a player on 300 grand a week from Bayern the same week, mm. because his own financial model <clears throat> isn't sustaining the the like the lifestyle that the club wants. So it it's going to come back because, as I say, the, the clubs need that money and they need to be seen as the powerful ones. But I do hope when it does come back that us and potentially a couple of the other clubs around us have, have seen the damage it will do and just kind of let's try and stay away from it as much as possible. But at, at the end of the day, the the sad thing is it's it's a business. 
and the yeah. the clubs are the the men in charge or the women in charge are there to make money and to make profit so it, it's going to come back but i'm just glad that in the near future we've kind of got over the worst of it but it, it still lingers yeah, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that football is run by billionaires who always have one eye on making another billion, isn't it? And, and um, But yeah, the really concerning aspect for me from all of this is precisely what you touched on there, Adam, which is the, the amount of difficulty that Spurs are in, Real Madrid are in. Um, they've essentially got nothing to lose at this point. So with that in mind, Rich, what steps can we put in place now while things are, you know, the, the kind of, it feels like we've got them on the ropes a touch what steps can we put in place now to ensure that football is no longer susceptible to such kind of wanted power grabs? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And again, Paris said this. He said, this is now the opportunity. Now you've got, you know, the opinion has turned so dramatically against this idea. But, um, I mean, there's been talk of, you know, introducing the 50 plus one rule, which I'm sure most of your audience know about, which is from German football where, the majority state will always be uh, in the fans' control. I think that's impractical because, you know, if you look at your club, how many how many supporters, if you reduce the overall investment, who's going to replace that money? You know, because there's a lot of money involved. We're not talking, you know, emptying out your pockets or even, you know, relatively wealthy people. You've got to be super rich. And supporters just don't have that sort of money. So... Whilst it's a lovely ideal, it's not practical. You can't just go, oh, right, well, let's turn everyone into 50 plus one next season because it won't happen. You just, the, the, we don't have the money. And if you think about, you know, supporter-owned clubs in the UK, generally they've come about because of a crisis. Generally it's because they're on their last legs and the last option is to get the supporters in and they're, they're small clubs. So Exeter City are an example. You know, Exeter City is a small club. I don't think anyone ever claimed they're anything but. And and they rescued it and they're still a supporter-owned club. But, you know, it was all through the the possibility of going out of business. And I, I just can't see how you could bring in the 50 plus one even, you know, in three or four years because there is so much investment that you need to replace from the likes of Sheikh Mansour or you know, David Levy, whoever it might be, you, you, you just have to be sensible about this. But looking ahead, I think what you've got to bring in is, you know, proper fan representation yes, on every board. Yeah. And, and when and I that say is proper, I, that is possible. And that is something that we should aim to get. Because at the moment, there aren't enough fans represented on boards. And if they are, it could be a bit of, you know, box ticking. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got supporter liaison. Yeah, we've done that. We've, we've done that. It's not true. So let's get proper fan representation on every single board. And then we can work towards, you know, something where the fans actually have a say in running their club. Well, kind of staying on the subject of fans, Adam, do you sense a newfound sense of belief from fans that if we drop the tribalism and unite, we can actually make a difference? Or am I just being a bit too idealistic there? I think yes and no. I think uh, there's some clubs, United and Arsenal and Chelsea and Spurs, and to some extent Liverpool are still at it. I think it's a little bit different at City. I think once it was dropped, it 
sort of I don't know it like the the fan uh like you said the the, the lack of tribalism in that small period of time mm. seems to have already gone yeah. which I think is a shame um I think if as has been said on this pod really really well over that week that there are owners with lots of of black marks next to the name with bad things that they've done uh whilst running clubs look at the glazers it's been an ongoing thing fsg an ongoing thing the cronkies at city this is almost the first misstep yeah. uh, from the fans point of view and we've almost let them off the hook i think the big thing is as rich said the 50 plus one thing just won't work over here you are a dreamer if you think that's going to work. Yeah. Um, the ship has long sailed on that one, but I totally agree with if we can, if all fans can get behind this and we can have fan representation as a rule from the Premier League, <clears throat> not just in the Premier League, you could have it across the AFL as well. And I don't see it. That can't just be one. It's not a fan. I think it just has to be that the fans have a vote on these things. Anything that is going to be a changer of anything the fans should be able to have a vote. Um, but I, I think the, that togetherness that all the fans saw, I think it's gone, which is a shame, really. Yeah. Um, but I think there are things... It did prove that when fans do get together, it's very powerful. Um, I'm seeing that uh, there's going to be a big protest at Old Trafford tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow or Sunday, one of the two, ahead of that game. And I've already seen things of Liverpool and United fans will go at it together. And that will make a big impact. If if you can pull together two direct rivals to go at the same the same message as we saw, and we saw it done really well by Arsenal and Chelsea, it's it's something that the owners do stand up and go, This isn't good, is it? Like if if we've got can you imagine if City and United came together for the same protest? It's like, well, if they've all come together for this, we're, we're screwed. Because that's that's a rivalry that, that we need to keep anyway. So I think it's dropped off a bit, but it did prove that it's a powerful thing. And, and also it, it's a very, the one thing that we almost took our eye off the ball is it's a very UK thing. We, we've talked about this before that the fans of these clubs are very global. It's a global business. It's a, a global sport. And our audience is very small in comparison to the rest of the world. However, ours is the most vocal and ours are the ones that are going to put bums on seats and uh, do all the, the direct support for them. So, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest, that we've let them off so much. But mm. uh, I just hope that the owners and those in charge have taken note and thought, well, next time, maybe we should ask the people who actually matter. Um, whether they will or not, I highly doubt, but we can hope anyway. Well, the big problem for me, because uh, I've been greatly encouraged by what I've, I've seen in this dropping of tribalism to get this done, because, you know, such was the, the depth of feeling. So it does show that when something really matters, we can drop this tribalism. But the big problem for me going forward is a committee of millions is never going to work is it so you know one person might say right we need to address this point this is the priority and you know someone else could completely dif- disagree and they're strangers and, and they're arguing online and oh, it's not going to get anywhere uh, it's not as if we're, we're sitting down in a room and discussing it um so let's just take all of that to one side 
And for the next minute or two, first you, Rich, then you, Adam, you have infinite power. Individually, you have infinite power to do what you like with football. Rich, how would if you had one day in charge, how would you improve football? Oh, boy. That is such a big question. It is. I apologise. Churning it over. I mean, as I say, I would definitely, as, as Adam said, I would make it a statute that you have to have fan participation on the board. I would also, you know, if it was infinite power and, you know, you could get away with stuff, I'd probably say no American owners. It's yeah. a bit harsh, but, you know, uh, as as you alluded to, the problem I have with people who own football clubs is they see football as a conduit. They see it as, oh, this is a global brand. It means a lot in China. They don't give a flying whatever about the football side of it. Um, so I think restrict certainly restricting foreign ownership might be a way as well. Um, but, you know, the, in a way, there are so many things that you'd like to do. It's quite difficult to actually focus on one. But as I say, fans at the heart of the football club is something I would love to see. It's how football clubs started. You know, they started as part of the community. Even the Archbishop of Canterbury came out against the <laughs> European Super League. Yeah. You know, when you've got God on your side. You're doing right. <laughs> um, in that he said a lot of the clubs actually were started by the church and they were, you know, that's how they've originated. And, you know, we've lost that sense of community. So if I had that infinite power, I would say all clubs need to go back to their communities, forget a little bit about foreign investors and focus on what a football should club should be, which is at the heart of the community. Would you be tempted to relegate Brighton? I would certainly be tempted, but then again, you know, want the rival, I want the rivalry. I yes. don't, you know, yeah, well they, they they sort of uh, haven't been, they've been in the Premier League for four years. I quite like playing them. Yeah. Um, I particularly like scoring a last minute win. When <laughs> absolutely hammered the whole game. It's quite good. So you would lose that and you would lose the anticipation of playing your rivals. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, we'll get rid of Man United or we'll get rid of Liverpool. Mm, you still sure want to play. <laughs> you still want to play. Come on, you we do. play him in the cup every season. Rich. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Uh, Adam, what about yourself? You've got infinite power. You've got one day in charge. How um, would you improve football? Well, uh, I am getting rid of VAR because I am going to be that cliched guy. Fair enough. I'm with you um, on that. Yeah, but I'm, I'm keeping goal line technology. That stays. Yeah. Um, do you know? I'm not, I might even, or I might even go really radical and get rid of referees. Right. Okay. Um, because they're the ones who are really bad. And yeah. maybe, maybe what I do is I sack all the current referees and we bring in loads of new ones um, who can't be celebrities. Like, you know, like um, everyone knows the names, everyone knows yeah, the yeah. styles and everything. Yeah. Nobody knows anything about these referees. They're like one in, one out. You don't see them again. <laughs> it, it'd be that kind of system. Fly goalie in, in the Premier League. Love it. Um, right. because well, you've can got, you imagine you've got fly goalie already haven't you <laughs> well, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking so this is very selfish but I'm just thinking right we're 1-1 in a game we have to win we can Edison can make a darting run and then Kyle Walker can be on the line and use his hands perfect yeah. um, and then the serious one like Rich said I'd, I'd make it law that um, there has to be fan votes within the board 
Um, that has to be one. Uh, what else could we have? <laughs> uh... Sorry to interject, but what, what I was talking about earlier about a committee of millions and all the rest of it and yeah. not, not kind of settling on. I mean, the three of us are talking here about what we do to change football and all three of us have mentioned and agree with the need to have fan representation yeah. on board. So that should be the next thing, shouldn't it? That should be the, I don't know who the hell is going to run this kind of campaign. Um, it needs to be like a Gary Neville or a Gary Lineker, I guess, but that should be the thing that we really press home now while we've got what feels like a, a, an advantage um, because I can't imagine, I mean, let us know on Twitter if you disagree, but I can't imagine anyone out there listening to this thinking, no, I don't want fan representation on boards. Um, so surely that's, that's the thing. If that's for, you know, we found the one thing that we could maybe kind of try and implement um, as difficult as it will be. Uh, okay, well, let's let's move on to this weekend and Palace City. Um, start with you, Rich. How would you sum up Palace's season and Kind of a twofold question. Are you happy with with Roy? Uh, That's such a big question again. Um, How would I sum up this season? Mid-table mediocrity, I think, is what you're looking at. Um, Look, I'm a Palace fan of a certain age where I quite, you know, I appreciate the fact that we're in our longest ever top flight run. You know, forget the Premier League. This is including the old first division. So we're now in our seventh successive season and that is the longest run we've ever had in the top flight. So that is great. And when, you know, we were playing in, for some unknown reason, I watched Palace every single game of the season when we were absolutely shit. Hmm. And it was quite enjoyable. You know, it was in the second division. We were going to places like Barnsley and losing. We were going, you know, to some pretty... I went to Bradford once when they're playing at the Oddsall Stadium on my own. Yeah. It's the most miserable experience. <laughs> it's a huge stadium, soulless. It's, I think it holds about 60,000. And there were probably 10,000 maximum there. Freezing cold, awful game. But, you know, I still still did it and, and in a way enjoyed it. So... I, I want perspective on this, and I have ultimate respect for Roy Hodgson. You know, he, okay, so he's he's not a spring chicken, but you have to have respect for a man who's been involved in the game for so long and has managed to bring, provide stability to a club that normally jumps up and down like a yo-yo. Oh. So that's good. Uh, you know, and he rescued us. You know, we had the Frank de Boer experiment, which lasted about as long as the European Super League. Um, <laughs> Does the style of the football frustrate you? Slightly, yeah, because, you know, we bought Eze, who is a really, really good, yeah. interesting player who I think has a lot of potential, but his main uh, task is to track back. And you just think, well, he's a pretty talented boy. Uh, I don't think tracking back's really his thing, is it? Um, so, you know, the frustrating thing is we have, and obviously Zahar has been, you know, our talisman for many years and and is still a good player and he's our leading scorer this season. Um, and we've got those players, but we play a system that doesn't encourage uh, creativity. We, we've hardly, I think, I can only think of two or three games where we've looked like, you know, oh, we're on it. And, and the irony is... One of the first games we played was at Old Trafford and we beat them 3-1. Yeah. And we looked like we were, yeah. from from the get-go, we wanted to go forward, we were at it. 
why don't we play like that a little bit more often? Because actually that was quite successful. Um, you know, we beat Leeds 4-1 at home where we just, you know, we just looked at every time we wanted to go on the attack, push, push forward. But he's got this, uh, let's say, it's a negative mindset in that he wants to set us up and make sure that we track back. And unfortunately, as I say, we've conceded more goals in this Premier League season than any other. So it hasn't actually worked. Um, so I, you know, I'm a Palace fan of a certain age also. I don't, until we're guaranteed not to be relegated, I still worry about oh, it. Not, not very much, yes, but I, I still worry about it. I know, I know, but, <laughs> you know, I remember Oldham 1992, 93, yeah. when we celebrated beating Ipswich because we were then, you know, eight points ahead of Oldham and there's no chance of them ever, you know, catching us up. And they won their last three games and they beat Liverpool and they beat you know, Aston Villa away, which was ridiculous. And it, it just all went horribly wrong. So there's, there is an element of me that thinks, oh God, it could happen again. <laughs> I, I know, you know, in 90.9999% of the time it's not going to, but there's still a little inkling that wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning going, Oldham, Oldham, Oldham. Um, <laughs> so... It, the fact that we're going to hopefully survive again is good. He's a steady hand on the rudder, but, you know, we bought a guy called Mateta uh, who scored a fantastic goal against Brighton, you know, a ridiculous sort of flick. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when you score against your big rivals, it's a great thing. We've hardly seen him since. You just yeah. think, well, hang on a minute. Should we not just give him a, you know, 10-minute run out, you know, against Leicester on, on Monday night? We did. We brought on James McCarthy. <laughs> James McCarthy, you know, very solid player. He's not going to rescue you when you're losing. He's just not going to do it. So um, I just want a little bit more progression. Do I want Hodgson to leave? I, I, I would. Some of me thinks yes. Some of me thinks no. But you know, frustrating thing with football is there is never really a succession plan. Yeah. It's always, yeah. oh, oh no, we've sacked our manager. What do we do now? Oh, and you know, there aren't that many candidates that you say, oh, well, that's definitely who we want. You know, Eddie Howe's been mentioned, Sean Dyche. Do I want either of those? Not sure. There's no clear candidate. And obviously, being Palace, we don't have the pick of, you know, the European elite. So we've got to, you know, our our expectations are relatively low in terms of who we can get so do any of those excite me not particularly is Roy Hodgson you know the future no he's 74 in August but you know he's done a remarkable job in stabilizing a club that normally would be going up and down so much respect to him it's just I want to know what the next stage is well, I mean, it is a good job that you're not in any relegation scrap because your fixtures coming up now, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, although you may get three Yeah, and we had Saturday. Chelsea and Leicester in the last... I mean, when I looked yeah. at our fixtures way back, I just thought we need enough points by the start of April to mm. be OK, and, and hopefully we have done that. Well, I mean, you might well pick up some more points at the weekend because um, I think <laughs> now's the time that me and Adam reassure you with our uh, severely weakened side that we've got in mind. Um but your under-23s are quite good, aren't they? So I'm not worried about that. <laughs> well, the worry for me is, should we pick a, a front three of Sterling, Jesus and Torres? Because individually, they've had kind of hit and miss kind of past couple of months. Together, that trio just doesn't work right now. Um, 
Adam, what kind of attacking lineup are you expecting this weekend? Oh, chaos. Um, <laughs> chaos. Just before I go on to that, I was, it was interesting hearing what Rich was saying about Palace. Because I, I think from an outsider's point of view, I find them the most frustrating team in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Because, yeah, yeah. because it always looks stifled and safe. And as Rich said, I, I watched that United game. Uh, I was at a caravan in Wales with a couple of mates um, back in those days in that, mid, yeah. in that mid-lockdown where things you could basically do whatever you want. Um, yeah. And they were United fans and I thought Palace were awesome that day. But in all the other games I've seen them, like you say, Zahar and Eze are so exciting, but they can't they can't do anything. It's, like, it's yeah. almost the, the shackled. So I can see why it's frustrating. And I would be beyond frustrated with the fact that my manager's 73, 74 at the start of next season. And there's been no word on, is, is he going to do another season? Is he is he going? We've got about 40 players out of contract. Yeah. That, that must be the worst part. Um, but... Yeah, um, I think tomorrow, so looking at this uh, wonderful, weird fixture tomorrow, the first thing that's worth noting is City can win the league this weekend. Yeah. We won't, but we can. <laughs> um, we can in the most poetic fashion probably ever, Yeah. whereby um, we, so just in case anyone's not aware, if we win tomorrow, Liverpool could take that trophy that they kept for about three weeks and they could hand it to us by beating United. <laughs> so Liverpool could beat United to win City the league. It would be beautiful. However, I think I'd, I'd prefer it where we win it on our own terms. But never mind. Aside from that, the team for tomorrow, I think, is going to be as wild as Edison won't play. Um, I think Stefan will start right. because uh, we saw... what When was it? A couple of seasons ago where... Edison got injured in a pointless game between two fixtures and we had Bravo in that. Yes. It was the Liverpool game, wasn't it, in the Champions League? Yeah. So I, yes, I, wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even risk our goalkeeper. Um, I think we'll have a back four of the four defenders who won't play in the in midweek. So potentially Cancelo right back, Ake and Laporte, two left-footed centre-halves, which is wild. Uh, and... Mendy at yeah, left back. That's what I've gone for too, yeah. I think our midfield will comprise of someone who might play in the week. I think Fernandinho will play. Yeah. Well, he will play. That's not a think. I think Bernardo might play because he's the only one, I think, who's got the legs to carry it. Yeah. Um, And that's almost a process of elimination where he's not going to play De Bruyne or Gundogan. Tommy Doyle might play, but I doubt it. Um, Just for the rhythm thing, you know, that Pep always talks about this rhythm and he, he doesn't want to break it. So we might see a Bernardo. Then I think we go a little bit wild. I think he'll play a front four. <laughs> I think we'll have Torres, Jesus, Aguero and Sterling. I think right. we'll play two up front. Okay. I was going to ask about that. I, that did cross my mind. I, I kind of ruled it out because I just can't see it, but it's Pep and it, it's an extreme circumstance here where, you know, he essentially can get away with doing a Pep. So yeah, it, it might well happen. And and I think it's it's also the case that Jesus and Aguero were going to need minutes just in case. Yeah. Just in case they're both going to need some time. And Torres and Sterling will definitely play, no doubt. So will Jesus. It's whether he plays Aguero or he finds another midfielder. Because I, I know we've got a massive squad, but can you think of a, 
another player who can actually go in. No, who's I, not going to play. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I do not want to see a single player, if possible, that's going to start against PSG on Tuesday play tomorrow. I don't want to see them. I, and I know that he might, and what Pep might do, he might bring one or two of them on with ten, fifteen minutes left just to get something in the legs. But I, I've just got this thing in my head where can you imagine if he starts Gundogan or De Bruyne or Mares tomorrow and they get injured? It'd be a disaster. We've got, is it five? We've got five games left and the most games we need to win is two. The least games we need to win is one. We we can afford to th- not throw this one away, but I would not be upset tomorrow if we get beat. Mm. As long as nobody gets hurt. And <laughs> That's all that counts. I think the key thing is, is the players who absolutely won't play. So KDB absolutely won't play. Gundogan, I just cannot. No. They're Diaz. Rodri as well. Uh, Mahrez. Uh, Mahrez as well. So yeah. th- there's some big names there, Rich, who will not be facing Keep talking, yourself. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I thought you were going to suggest Edison was going to play up front for us. So oh, uh, no, well, it- I, I think the other thing, Rich, though, to mention is I, I looked at this team before and thought, it's great that we're not playing De Bruyne and Mahrez and Foden and Gundogan and everyone else who's been in form. But then if we start with a front four of Ferran Torres, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus and Aguero. It's going to be fun at least. So, yeah, yeah. Um, fun for you, possibly. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that you go from no forward to four in yeah. a fairly dramatic shift yeah. in your um, formation. And the thing is that, as I was saying to Steve just before we came on, uh, our defence is old. I mean, it's not quite as old as our manager, but it's really old. I mean, as I said, our youngest centre-back celebrated his 31st birthday this week. So, um, you know, the likes of, you know, obviously Aguero is a fantastic goal scorer. He's he's not young, but he's fantastic. The likes of Torres skipping round, you know, uh, sort of an ageing Scott Dan has me slightly frightened. (laughs) Um, So... Quite frankly, I think whatever team you put out, you will be uh, certainly on the front foot and you'll have lots of possession and the likelihood is you will win fairly easily. Well, before we get to kind of score predictions, and I want to know from Adam as well how he sees the game progressing. You've kind of said, segued nicely into what I was going to ask you there, Rich, about us dominating possession. Um, from a neutral's perspective, how have you viewed City? Do you enjoy watching us or is our dominance of possession? And frankly, and this is no, not sort of any degree of kind of arrogance, but the fact that we win pretty much all the time, is that a little boring from a neutral's point of view? Um, I, don't, I wouldn't call it boring because, you know, when you're watching someone like De Bruyne play, you're not really a football fan if you don't enjoy that. Mm. And... You know, okay, you are going to have the majority possession and the vast majority of the games you're on easy street. But that's not your fault. Um, uh, you know, it's the other teams that should be challenging. And, then, you know, let's look at the Leeds game. I mean, they, you know, you've got to respect Leeds. They just give it a go and yeah. they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. And, you know, there, there's many reasons for that. And Bielsa is very much a part of it. And, you know, his mad Bielsa training. Uh, you know, I don't think many other teams would have gone forward like they did uh, when Dallas scored that goal at the Etihad. Um, so I, th- I think it's more behoven on the other team to actually challenge you and do something slightly different. 
Uh, unfortunately, I don't think Palace are that team. Um, but no, I I do enjoy watching City, and you know they're they're you know when uh, I mean Phil Foden is clearly going to be a player of some stature for many years to come, and mm. you, you just love the way he plays and his instant ball control, his ability. Now he's a bit stronger; he can shrug people off. Um, no, I, I will. I, I, I watch City games quite a lot, and I will continue to do so. You're saying that you're frustrated with the opposition, and um, kind of very much took me back to United in their heyday. Because that, you know, if I watched the United game, obviously I wanted United to lose. I was a City fan, yeah. but in terms of the enjoyment of a game, that was the overriding feeling for me. I was so frustrated every time with the opposition. It's like go at them. You're at Old Trafford. And you know, I bring this up because that's what your boys did at the start of yeah. the season at Old Trafford. Give it a go, you know. What back in the day under Ferguson, what have you got to lose? You know, if you get stuffed six 0 so be it. Yeah. Um, and and so few teams do that. And then I remember when City kind of first rose to prominence. I remember getting at home to Norwich and we scored after maybe twenty minutes or so. And Norwich had ten men behind the ball. And then two minutes after we'd gone one 0 up, they still had ten men behind the ball. And I thought, oh no. We've mm. we've become united now. It's not our fault, but you know we've become that team where the opposition just are happy to lose by two nil. <laughs> yeah, it's damage limitation. Yeah, and it's it's not fun to watch from anyone's perspective. That, but unfortunately, you know it exists. Um, Adam, how do you see this weekend playing out? I think it'll be clunky. Mm. Um, it's a cut word. I like it. You, yeah, I, I'll cast everyone's minds back to the the West Ham game a couple of months ago where. We won the game, Diaz and Stones both scored, but it was clunky, it was just a bit dishevelled, but to be expected because I think we made nine changes that game and I'd expect the same this weekend. I think it's one of those where if you can get it over the line, great. If you can't, not the end of the world. Um, I don't think it's going to be free scoring. I'd be disappointed if I was a Palace fan and Palace didn't have a go because it's it's a... I know most of the games at the moment are a free hit for Palace and I wonder if they are a little bit on the beach where you can't go down. The games are tough and they're stacked against Palace at the moment, but I'd be disappointed if Palace didn't come out and just think, why not? Um, Especially with the teams that he put out. I think we should still win with whatever 11 we put out, but I, I won't be that disappointed if we don't. As long as, like I say, we get out of it unscathed. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange. It's just a really strange game. Mm. Like the timing of it's weird. We we play a second leg Champions League semi final on Tuesday, and we're playing on a Saturday, and it's a bit oh, just just get it over with. I imagine that's the overriding sense within the players. However, we know what Pep's like. He he wants to keep the momentum of winning games. That's what he's about. He he loves the rhythm of winning. And he will want to win the game. Um, and he'll be disappointed if we don't win the game because, again, the earlier we can get the title sewn up, the better, really. Um, yeah. But I, I don't... I say that and I'm going to completely con- contradict what I've just said because Pep said a while ago, and I can't remember what interview it was in, about it's not always a great thing to tie the league up too early because you lose the the passion of we need to win this game. And and you, that lives with you. Um, but I think this is very different circumstances where the ball's in our court in a Champions League semi-final and we can't cock that up. 
we we honestly cannot. So it's going to be an interesting week. Um, I'm looking really, really looking forward to watching the game tomorrow because it will be weird and it's going to be a different <laughs> team and it's going to be a different way of playing. And as Rich said before, we go from playing no striker to probably playing two. It's just going to be fun to see. And, and if Aguero's on the pitch, I'll be delighted just because we've not seen yeah. him for so long. I mean... Saturday lunchtime worries uh, worries me. It always does. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, brought, I don't think we we've had a good result at Saturday lunchtime since for five 0 against Liverpool. Was, you know, four years ago, whatever it was. I mean, there was a last minute winner at Bournemouth. I, I recall since then, but that was a struggle. Um, score prediction, Rich. We won't score many. You will score quite a few. <laughs> um, come on. No, I just I've, I've been you know. Go for it, Rich. Go for it. Go for a 4-2. I always have a superstition as well. I just don't like predicting scores. I've, I, if, if you had a, a... I did a podcast the other day, a Palace one called Five Year Plan, mm. and we did superstitions. And when I got to my eighth superstition, I went, oh, hang on, someone mm. else wants to speak here. I, I, I have a real phobia about certain things. Do, do you have lucky pairs of socks? I don't. I am not allowed to touch any Palace paraphernalia on the day of a game. Amazing. Oh my god! No, not not a shirt. I've got a couple of mugs. I can't touch them. So <laughs> what happens what? is someone in the house takes the Palace mug out. I go, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Put it back. Yeah. I tell, tell you what's a good new superstition that we've got. We found this season during the Champions League. Well, I say this season, the last three games. That if we go to the pub, our local, which is now reopened. For a couple of pints just before kickoff, and we get in just in time for kickoff, we win the game. So I'm going to keep that su- superstition up for as as long as possible. Well, I, I think that, you that, keep that, that, that is quite a good superstition. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, keep that up even if you start losing. It There's one actually exceptional one that came out of this podcast where there's a guy who comes over from I think it was Finland to watch Palace games, and he once went to a different pub to his mates, and we won. And he now oh, does no. that. He keeps. He comes over from Finland. He doesn't see his mates because they go to a different. Because he has to go to that pub. Because <laughs> we we will we will win if he goes to that pub. Do you know what How I find mad bizarre? Because I've never been superstitious in any way, shape, or yeah. form my whole life. And then I'm now at the age of forty-five. And a few months ago, for for whatever reason, I realised I'd started to put my right trainer on first over my left oh, trainer God. and now I have to and it just shows how it could just start from nowhere yeah, someone who's a bit older than you I'm afraid it gets worse oh no not, not better <laughs> um, a score prediction from you Adam um, can I give two of course <laughs> um, so I'm going to go for a very reserved 1-1 in the case that it is clunky but if we do start a front four and if Rich is correct in everything he's said then 4-0 Wow, okay. okay. I'm, I can't I'm, remember the last time we scored four. Well, no, probably against us, wasn't it? <laughs> probably. <laughs> I'll go for that. I'm going to go for um, quite a nervy a nervy 3-1, but 2-1 for a good while before we, we kind of settle matters later on. Um, okay, well, we're running out of time and I wanted to talk about Liverpool United, <sighs> but what we can do is kind of just scrap the, the pretentious opening question because um, what I really want to know, we'll start with you, Adam. I want to... Can you recall a time in recent seasons when you've supported one of these sides because it was in City's best interest? Yes. Um, League Cup final, two years ago, mm. City were playing Chelsea 
in that worst cup final you've ever seen. Yeah. yeah the one that yeah. went to penalties and the I didn't one even where the watch. Chelsea keeper refused to come off. Yeah. Yes. Um, good quick story from that. Uh, in extra time, so I had a, a corporate seat. It wasn't a corporate corporate seat. It was like you're in the, you know, that middle tier where. Yeah. Um, and just before extra time, we'd gone up for a pint. We were a bit bored of the game and we saw Chopper Harris and uh, my mate just stayed and we just sat with him and talked to him for the whole of extra time. Didn't see him in it. But anyway, so that day, earlier in that day, United played Liverpool at Old Trafford um, and we needed United to stop Liverpool's, like they were hurtling towards the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the game that we sat there thinking, please just, we need United to win this. It feels weird, but sod it. It's all out the window. We sat there and watched it in the concourse um, before the game and it finished nil-nil and that was the game where I think United had to make three subs within the first 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah, because but, yeah. everyone was getting injured and mm. that was the last time I supported a, a rival team um, yeah. in a game. And it, it, do you know it's what? so odd. Do you know what? It felt good. What? Oh. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because I thought, you're doing us a massive favour. United drawing that game nil-nil, yeah. basically, in the, if you look at it from a really long lens, won us the title. So, brilliant. Like, that, that'll do. I, I'm looking forward, I mean, if we progress past Palace this weekend, if we get the three points, and I'm not taking that in any way, shape or form for granted, not just because of the lineup what we're expected to put out, is because I just feel that we always struggle against Palace, even though I looked at results early and thought, oh, actually we do okay. Um, but if we beat Palace, it's, it's a free hit for me this Sunday. For the first time in a long time, I can sit back and if Liverpool win, we've won the league. If United win, it dents Liverpool's chances of top four. And so, I just want some goals. I just want some excitement. I can actually watch it, not really hating on both, but rather just, okay, two big teams. Let's, it, let's just enjoy it. It'd be nice, Steve, if it was like the Chelsea-Tottenham game when Leicester won the league, mm. where it's all-out war. Yes. Yeah. If, if I'm going to watch that game thinking I certainly <laughs> yeah. could win the league, uh, Dan Burke said on, um, I think he was chatting to Steve McInerney and Mooney on, I think it was a City Social. He said... Um, it doesn't really matter either way because you could have this season where, yeah, Liverpool could win us the title or later in the season we can throw the game against Everton and let them finish above Liverpool. So Brilliant. Y- you can you can play these both ways. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. Um, right, we've got a Palace fan on and we're talking about Liverpool and obviously we're a City podcast. So we have to end on this note. Uh, Rich, what do you remember about the 3-3 in 2014 and how many pints do we collectively owe you for that? Well... <laughs> I don't think you've got enough fingers um, <laughs> between the two of you. Um, actually, I was coming, I was in Reading for some unknown reason. And right. I was actually, because it was right at the end of the season, we didn't have anything on it. It was a sort of 50 50 thing, shall I bother? You know, evening game, God. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, right, okay. And actually, because of that, I didn't have a ticket with the guy I normally go with. So I was in a completely different bit of the ground. And then watching it, it was a nice summer evening, it was actually quite warm. And then, you know, Liverpool clearly were just going for it. And I, the, the, the couple of things I remember so clearly is when they scored the third goal, Suarez ran to get the ball out of the net. Yes. You know, they wanted yeah. to get their goal difference yeah. up. And I just thought, that's a bit bloody arrogant, isn't it? You know, um, but I had no expectation whatsoever. So when Delaney 
hit that shot and it sort of somehow went in. It was just like, oh, respectability. One, you know, three, one, <laughs> that looks all right. You know, people won't have a go. At it. And then the next five or six minutes, I very rarely felt so giddy at a football match after that. It was, it was you know, where your head is just fizz- fizzing. Yeah. And the only other time I can remember similarly was actually against Liverpool in 1990, the FA Cup final, when beaten 4-3, having lost 9-0. Yeah. So th- there is just an incredible... And I, I remember just... I was going to call people, but I was just so excited I could hardly speak. And <laughs> just walking back to the car because I was on my own, it was just beautiful. And, you know, the the Liverpool fans, the the collective, you know complete collapse of their team was a joy to watch but obviously I loved it because we had nothing on it and I think it was I think it was Matthew Said or someone like that who said that is the beauty of English football actually goes back to our Super League that is the beauty of English football that a team who have absolutely nothing on this game are 3-0 down and they get back to 3 all, and the crowd (laughs) goes absolutely berserk Berserk. That, that was bad as well. I always think that um, I, I went to the the Anfield game a couple of weeks earlier uh, where Liverpool, in everyone's mind, my mind included, they won the league that day. Yeah. yeah. And I walked out the ground thinking, I can't believe we've just allowed that. And then I remember the Palace game because I, I was sat, I think I was at my friend's or somewhere. Um, and we watched the first half and we just turned it off because I thought, yeah. I thought, do you know what? There's actually a chance they will get seven here and I can't be bothered. And text started coming through and when it got to 3-2, I thought, oh, we'll put it on, why not? <laughs> and Gale scores and I, it was like, how have they managed to not win? How? how? It just doesn't happen. It's just emotion. It's their undoing, isn't it? it, 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 it they, they rode that season on, on, on emotion uh, as illustrated by and, yeah. and epitomised by Gerrard and and as, as Rich said there about kind of Suarez racing into the goal to get the ball when they're 3-0 up, and then, what, 60 minutes later, he's crying his eyes out. Just play a game of football, lads. God's sake, it's yeah. not a mission. <laughs> so, tell you one thing, Steve. Um, I'm really disappointed that you missed out one of the questions uh, in this yeah. pod. Which one? Um, just because I, I would I, I would have just got myself in trouble. Um, <laughs> I'll go when, on. Well, you were, gonna, were you going to ask before uh, we've got a bit carried away with this pod. Um, besides City, who do you enjoy watching yes. the most in the Premier League? And I wonder if you asked me this because you know my answer. Did you see Liverpool? No, absolutely not. You said you to trouble. Yeah, yes, this season I've I've enjoyed Liverpool, watching Liverpool because they've been terrible. Yeah. Um, close your ears, Rich. It's, no. It has it has to be Brighton. It has no, to be. Why? Why? It, because why? because and it's not even because they're so good. It's because I don't think I've ever seen a team who play really good football with really average players mm. and they do everything really well until they have to score a goal yeah. yeah, and they can't do it. And it's, it's quite funny to watch, but then also I think um, I saw, saw a rumor the other day of, or what if uh, Spurs go for Graham Potter, which I think would be a shrewd one. But my answer was why not give Brighton Harry Kane? And just, <laughs> just, see if it, just, just to see Give them Harry Kane for one season. Just see if it works. Because I'm I'm sure if you give them a striker, they'd be really good. But 
I've I've really enjoyed watching them, and if not them, uh, West Ham this season. Uh, West Ham that would be my choice. I, I'm a, I'm yeah. a bit of a secret hammer on the quiet. I've always liked them, and um, but Moyes, oh, it, it's fun, hard. Aren't they? If they're they're fun, but then the camera pans to Moyes and it ruins it for me. It's like oh, no, let's I'm, forget about him. I quite like David Moyes. Do you? Be- oh God. Mm. Did you see what he did at United? Did you see, did you see oh, yeah. what he used? No, he did, did you yeah. see what he used to say after the games? I mean, amazing. He he destroyed them from the inside out, yeah. and it was. And now look at him. We need to be more like City. We aspire to be like City. It was just yeah. glorious, Rich. We to hear United manage to say that. We yeah, need to improve. Um, we need to improve our defending, attacking, <laughs> passing, scoring. Yeah, I was yeah. like, this is unbelievable. Oh. Um, Oh, yeah. Actually, you've given me an idea that maybe Graham Potter should come to Palace. That would cause a few ructions, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> that could do, be do you know really what? Interesting. I, I am uh, Graham Potter's biggest fan, I think, and I want him to be our interim manager after Pep. Mm-hmm. Just just to see what happens. Um, do you, What do you think of him, Rich? Do, do Palace fans hate him, or do you just think he's he's a bit uh, m- meh? Well, we, no, as you say, I mean... You have to uh, deep down admire the way they play because they play good football. You know they try. You know they do pass the ball quite well, and they got nice intricate patterns. But it is fantastic because they cannot achieve the one thing you're meant to do in football, which is score a bloody goal, and they just cannot do it. And it, it's impressive, it really isn't it? Difficult. It is impressive. How considering it's how you know good they are up to that point. It just seems ridiculous that they can't do the one simple thing that you're meant to do, which is score a goal. You know, Mope has been incredibly poor, incredibly yeah. poor. And, you know, they just, you know, even when they're against Chelsea, they had so many chances and they just couldn't do it. And you just think, this is great because actually you're never going to be uh, getting too good for us to embarrass us. So let's let's keep playing these intricate patterns. And let's keep failing to score a goal. And I think if Potter came to Palace, you know, we would forgive him for his sins. And, you know, he'd get us playing good football and we might even have a decent centre forward and could could be, you know, uh, a, go to the next level up. Great Potter's 30 years too young to go to Palace, mate. <laughs> no, no, right. You've got to be born before the Second World War yes. ended. Yeah. Um, guys, time to wrap it up. Thank you yeah. so much for joining me today, Adam. No, thanks very much. Thanks, mate. And thank you very much, Rich. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I, you know, next time you need anybody for uh, alternative views, I'm, I'm, I'm available. Well, uh, if I could just throw in, um, I run something called thefootballmind.com. It's about football, clearly. Uh, and I also am now running a quiz every sort of uh, the first Tuesday of every month. So On Zoom? Have a, have a look. On Zoom. Right. It's called Seventh Heaven. It's a bit different. Right, okay. Questions with seven answers um it's fun i've been doing it for a while but i'm beginning to now spread it out to people so i'll put it out on twitter on when you when do you send this out uh, it'll go out about lunchtime so and we'll tag okay. you in so yeah and uh, and to all those listening out there check out any one of richard's books um the a to z of football hates football's flaws and foibles um agony and the ecstasy um all about the, the playoffs and the history of the playoffs so it's a busy time coming up for you i'm sure soon with them coming. Yeah. um okay thanks guys and thanks for listening in everyone um here's to three points this weekend and a wrapping up of a title or maybe next weekend who knows uh, but in the meantime take care everyone be safe be well and forever up the blues <laughs>